This is from the New Living Translation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The word of the Lord. So today uh, ends a a series that I began really several months ago back in May called Kingdom Come. And each week we've been looking at that idea, that part of the Lord's Prayer. I'll put it up here where we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is what is taking place in heaven right now. We might unleash here on earth. And this series really began, the first one was the world that is. And it will end today in the world that is to come. It began in a garden. And one day for the people of God, it will end in a city. And you just heard the reading there out of Revelation. I want to put up here again. It says, John says, I saw, I saw the holy city. I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God. From where? From out of heaven, coming down like a bride beautifully dressed before her husband. This seems to say here on many levels, but perhaps at least to me, most to me, there's a longing that each one of us has here to get to that place, the place we have longed for our entire lives. I would dare say, and I honestly believe that this is hardwired into our DNA. God made us to have this longing. What do I mean by that? Well, we are, we are caught in some strange reality. I want to put this picture up here, okay? A picture of we long for a utopian world. We long for that, for a better place. And yet we find ourselves living in a dystopian reality. We look around at the world and we see the world's pretty, pretty messed up. And we're a part of it. Have you noticed that? And it can make us feel very insecure, unsafe, wary of what's going to happen next. 
And I think the question is, it's, it's worth asking the question, how do we, as Paul said, quoting the Athenian philosophers, how do we live and move and have our being in this? Uh, how do we find peace in the in-between? Well, let me just suggest a few things that this passage is absolutely uplifting for us. But one is an ancient church doctrine goes back since the beginning of the church. I'll put it up here. And that is, that it's this, this whole idea of the perseverance of the saints. And that is that the people of God, you and I, we are, we are looked upon by God as saints. Okay. I know you don't think that, but God sees us this way, that we are saints and that we God seems to put a mandate out there for us that in the face of great suffering, in the face of hardships and injustice and just the unfairness of life, that we would, as people of God would continue to seek after God all our days while we are here. Whether it's something that happens to us or either by our own hand, we would continue to bow the knee to God. We persevere. This is what this is saying, even in the face of suffering. And the reason why we know we can do this is the Bible uplifts this whole idea. This is one of the great themes running throughout the entire scripture of hope. That there is a future waiting for us that one day we are going to get to. And because we know what's going to happen in the end, because we know the end of the story, it directly impacts our present circumstances we find ourselves in right now. Our believed future impacts our present circumstances. And this is the reason why, by the way, just to give an illustration, when the Christians were thrown to the lions and we know the disciples were being killed, we know from at least legend says it that Peter was crucified upside down uh, we know that in many cases from historical writings that these, many of these people went to their graves with smiles on their faces, praying for the people that were slaughtering them. And the people that were watching this, the pagan world was watching this, was saying, how, how can they handle this kind of suffering like this? What makes them so different? And the reason why is they had a hope. They had a hope. And Ecclesiastes has taught us this. As I've preached on this many times, God has planted eternity in the hearts of men. So you wonder where that longing comes from to get to the world it is? God put it there inside of you. And this is the reason why Paul had this hope saying, listen, uh, I always have one foot planted in this world. I'm where my feet are. This is where God has me. And yet he always seemed to keep his sights on the realities of heaven. So this is why he said, for me to live, okay, is Christ and to die is what? Gain. And what Paul is simply saying here is to live. If I wake up in the morning, if I wake up in the morning, it means I still have time to tell about the one who has set my heart free. And if God brings me home tonight, he's saying, I will be with him. Paul is saying, in essence, either way, I win. There is no loss for the Christian. 
It's all good news. And so the reality of what we believe our future to be directly impacts our present circumstances. So we persevere. That's point number one. The second point is this passage teaches us here is that there's a restoration of all things. A restoration of all things. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, if you go back to the very beginning of time, the beginning of the world, God did not create the world with poverty, sickness, death, injustice, racism. God did not create the world like this. So when Jesus Christ comes along, I'll put the picture up here, and he begins to perform these great miracles. And he begins to heal people in body, mind, and spirit. When he begins to heal these people, he's obviously doing this because these are the works of the Messiah. But I would dare say it even goes farther than that because one thing it does, it's pointing back to the Garden of Eden and now this is how it used to be all the time. There was a time when we were completely healthy, restored. We, had, we walked with God and cooled the evening. There was, no, there was no brokenness. There was no disease. There was no death. And that sin came in the world and changed all that. So these, these miracles point back to how it used to be. They also point forward into how one day it shall be again in the city that is to come, in the world that is to come, it'll be like this all the time. No hunger, no disease, no depression, no war, no war. What will that be like? No cancer, no racism, no injustice, no, no death. God is gonna heal the world. He's gonna heal the world. So it's a restoration of how it's always supposed to be. And what I would tell you is that this idea, it touches the heart. Because when it touches the heart, that's limitless. And God told John, I want you to write this down so that believers down through the generations will remember that this is what our future holds. I want you to know this. Jesus tells us to John to write this down. And look what he says next. This is an amazing passage. It's amazing. He says, look, I am making everything new. Some translations say, I am making all things new. Here's what I find absolutely amazing about this. I give full credit to Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book called Heaven, where he goes into great detail about this. But this is a fascinating thing to me. And I hope you can capture what I'm trying to communicate here. There are two words in the New Testament for the word new. There's the word neon, which means brand new, never been seen before. Okay, right out of the box, brand new. Okay, right off the assembly line, brand new. And then there's the word kainos. And kainos is something that was new and it had been broken and put back together to be made to new. It got put back together to be looked new again. This is the word that's being used here. And what is Jesus saying here? He is saying here that one day I'm gonna fix everything. He doesn't say some things. He says everything. I'm gonna fix all things. I'm gonna restore all things. I'm gonna make everything new that has been broken in this world. Now, honestly, I don't know what this means for people who are outside the faith 
I turn them over to God. But I know for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, this means everything for us, everything. And let me tell you why it's so important here. Because the idea that one day there's a day coming where everything sad will come untrue. And that is the longer I'm alive, I think the older here know this, but I perhaps say the younger know this as well, that the longer I'm alive, there appears to be from my vantage point that the more that's taken away from us, there, there appears to be an irreversibility to life. That when you lose things and you lose people and you lose opportunities and dreams are crushed, it appears like when they are gone, they are gone. A lot of us know this in here. We've lost people. We've lost opportunities. We've lost marriages. We've lost health. And it seems like when it's gone, it's, it's gone forever. It feels like that, doesn't it, sometimes? Like we're not going to be able to get it back. Like it's irretrievable. And on a, on a lighthearted note, we know this, okay? When our youth is gone, <laughs> okay, it is gone. You're not getting it back. We know this. But see, here's the gospel. Here is the gospel. The resurrection promises us a future. There, there's going to be a restoration of everything we have ever lost. This is huge. Think about this. What has been taken from you in this life? And what would you give to have that back? Well, you don't have to give anything. Jesus Christ has already given his life for you. And one day we shall have it back again. In the resurrection, we get it back. And not only that, praise God, we get new bodies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and not just the bodies we have now, bodies you always wanted to have and never could have, we're going to get those back. Here, as the new heavens come down to this earth, heaven is here on this earth, physical earth. It's not some ethereal place in the middle of the universe, it's here. We're going to we're going to hug, we're going to embrace, we're going to dance, we're going to sing. A renewed world, a perfect world. It's the reversal of irreversibility. That's what this passage is saying here. And it's going to be so unimaginably wonderful. And I want to add here, no religion even comes close to promising anything like this. What Jesus is promising here. God restoring what the locusts have taken. Getting it back. And so what I'm saying to you is, my friends, there are better days ahead than the ones we are leaving behind. This is good news, church. This is good news. The world that is to come. And lastly up here is the world that is to come, our future that is to come, is a world that is filled with, with love. When you read through the last chapters of Revelation, chapter 19, 20, 21, 22, Jesus seems to give, and the Bible seems to give a, a glimpse of the climax of history, that the world is finally um, in the condition that Jesus Christ died to produce. 
this place of perfection. There was a time in the beginning in the Garden of Eden where we were naked and unashamed. And that's simply another way of saying that there was a time when we were, we were absolutely, there was absolute transparency, absolute acceptance. We were not hiding from one another. We were not hiding from God. There was, in other words, there was no shame. We were perfect in every way. And yet sin came into the world and ever since then, it's been a struggle. We lost our connection with God. We lost our connection with each other. There's a lack of transparency. There's a lack of community. And therefore, we started hiding from God. We started hiding from one another. That's what the whole fig leaves are all about. And you do not have to be a theologian or a philosopher to know there's something wrong with the world. And there's something wrong with us. It's very easy to see our blemishes. And this is the debilitating human dilemma. We desire perfect relationships. We desire perfect love. We desire for perfection. And yet we can never get there. We want to experience that perfection and we want to give it, but we never can get there. And every single one of us has this desire of this, this perfect place that we're trying to get to. Have you not felt this before? Okay, we're always traveling and never arriving. Have you felt like that or am I the only one? There's always somewhere we're trying to get to. I, you know, many of you asked many times what my obsession with C.S. Lewis is about. And um, I will tell you back 35 years ago, the one part that captured my heart that has never really left my heart since was when we were in, I was in discussion, we were talking about mere Christianity. And it's a part of mere Christianity where he makes an incredible, incredible argument of introducing the gospel through the back door. And if you've ever been to a funeral over, I've done one, I've always brought this up with people, what Lewis said, because I've often discovered people who, many people who don't go to church, a little light comes on for them. And that is this, that Lewis argued, I think very persuasively, that creatures or human beings and this animal life is not born with desires unless there's a way to satisfy the desires. So for example, Lewis says, uh, babies are born desiring milk. There's a such thing as milk. Ducks are born wanting to swim in water. There's a such thing as water. Human beings have a, a longing to learn. There's a such thing as knowledge. Human beings have sexual desire. There's a such thing as intimacy. And Lewis says here, if 100% of humanity, regardless of whether they say they believe in God, they believe in Christianity, they believe in Christ, regardless of what they believe, has a desire to be, to not die and to be reunited with those we love, to have a love that transcends and conquers death and that all we've ever accomplished in this life will not be forgotten. If we all have this desire to get someplace better and nothing in this world can satisfy that desire, Lewis says the most probable explanation is you and I were built for another world. One far better than this one. And common grace has taught us this. Even the unbeliever sees this, that we we experience both the glory and the fallenness of this world. 
at the same time. Because when we experience loss or sadness or suffering or death, and we see injustice, we say to ourselves, this is not right. This is wrong. And yet conversely on the other side of it, when we experience joy and happiness and glory and victory and perfection, we, don't, we do not say this is not right. I don't think we even think about it at all because this is how it was always supposed to be. It was always supposed to be like this. And one day, praise God, it shall be again. These qualities of God that are not bound by time or place, but are universal to all. And this is the reason why, by the way, let me add here, why so many people, even secular people, are drawn to stories in movies and poetry and music that seem to echo these whispers of the gospel. that tell us not only what is wrong with ourselves, but also tell us what's wrong with the world and that one day it's, it's not always be like this. And there's parts of life that seem to touch our soul, okay? Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Qualities that reign in the city that is to come. Eternal friendships, love that's never separated. And if this world is not our home, or at least the world we know as it is now, then it should not surprise any of us if we are continually drawn to stories and moments of escape that seem to touch not only the world that is, but the world that is to come, and either by imagination or intellect, or simply disclaiming the promises of God, they transport us to a world that is beyond our own. A gospel, I'm going to tell you, that cannot be contained or restricted. And this is the reason why Paul said, let me put it up here, since you have been raised to new life in Christ. What does he say? Set your sights. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. We yearn for something more, something, something, something better, something special that we once possessed, Can <laughs> praise God, we will one day again possess again. My growing belief is that God has provided us a rich storehouse of images of the world that is to come while we are living in the world that is. So let us turn our faces this morning toward it. Our calling on the world that is, our destiny is the world that is to come. God Heaven coming down among his people. So I have made a video just for you people. <laughs> Let's watch this. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Me? Well, I'm a man of faith. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Do you really think all this is an accident? Dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. That you are here, that life exists and identity. 
I can make people feel what it's like to be alive. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. You, Uchid, cannot be dragged into the shadows. You must become the light. Do you not understand? I may die in this cell tonight or in the arena tomorrow. I am a slave. What possible difference can I make? In the end, this shadow is but a small and passing thing. Don't you understand? Today I saw a slave become more powerful than the Emperor of Rome. The gods. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. I will miss you, Forrest. You love broken people. Like me. <laughs> Sometimes we have to ask for help. And that's okay. I believe there's grace all around us all the time. If we can only have the humility to admit that we need it. What have you come here to show us? A kingdom.